Hey, yo, peace. What's going on? This is Razzcast giving a major shout to the Sober's Dope podcast community. And I just want to tell everybody, you know, who's struggling with drugs and alcohol to don't try to do it forever. Do it one day at a time. And uh, much love. Again, Sober is Dope. That's the real dope. Peace. Sober is Dope. Sober is Doper. Monk Healing, the Sober Rapper, and Pop Buchanan does not endorse or promote body brokering, capitalizing on the pain and suffering of addicts, incentivized insurance scams, shady recovery markers, and clinics that railroad addicts into treatment. We are not affiliated with any detox, rehab, or recovery clinics. We frown upon fake gurus, influencers, that utilize their platform to sexually prey on addicts and people that are in vulnerable and emotional states. We frown upon fake gurus, influencers, that utilize their platform to profit from the pain, suffering, and addiction of addicts. We believe that recovery platforms should be a safe place for addicts. We do not judge addicts and do not judge recovering addicts that relapse. The Sober's Dope Podcast is sacred ground. We put God first, and we do not judge anyone that may not be religious, spiritual, or share the same beliefs as our founder, Pop Buchanan. The star of Sober's Dope are the addicts and the people in recovery, not Pop Buchanan. Sober's Dope, Sober's Doper, Monk Healing, the Sober Rapper, and Pop Buchanan are devoted to the healing of the afflicted, scorned, addicted, broken, and depressed. Pop Buchanan is an addict with almost nine years of recovery. This platform was created to share my story and process in the hope of inspiring addicts worldwide. Sober's Dope will report anyone that we find to be abusing addicts emotionally, sexually, monetarily, and mentally. We are not affiliated with any investors or people that support body brokering. Sober is dope is sacred ground and a safe place for the addict. Profits and proceeds from the Sober is Dope and Sober is Doper shops are utilized for the podcast and a portion goes to charity. If you or someone you know are victims to sexual misconduct, abuse, body brokering, insurance scams, or neglect, email us at monkhealing.com. At SoberIsDope.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at VisitWilliamsburg.com. Hello, friends and family. Welcome back to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I'm really pumped today to bring you my special guest. Today's guest is Drew Hicks. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen. Drew Hicks is a phenomenal human being, and he has one of the most amazing stories of triumph and recovery. 
And I'm really excited to share this with you. It's a real treat for me. And as you know, we finally reached season two of the Sober's Dope podcast after 220 plus episodes in season one. I promise to bring you a lot more value because I really care about your recovery journey. Now, back to Drew Hicks. Drew Hicks really touches me. I'm honest. I mean, you know, when I first, before the Sober's Dope podcast, I used to go on the internet and just kind of like Facebook and try to find people that I could connect with. And Drew was one of the first people I've seen recovering out loud on Facebook. Um, And this is really before recovery TikTok and recovery IG took off. I mean, Drew's been really putting in that work. And you know, Drew was really warm and he always said, whatever you need, brother, I'll be there. Whatever you need, brother, I'll be there. And then um, years later, I decided to do the Sober's Dope podcast. And then lo and behold, um, I have the honor of actually having Drew Hicks on the podcast today to talk to you about his recovery journey, which is extremely a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, A little bit about Drew. Drew Hicks in his words, is a grateful recovery addict. His clean date is February 26, 2016. Drew states that today he is the international recovery advocate, a motivational speaker, and soon-to-be published author. Drew's main focus is to lead our still sick and suffering brothers and sisters to recovery. And he states that outside of everything he does in recovery, he recently was able to marry the love of his life, and he's also the father of some pretty amazing children. I will quote Drew directly here. Drew says, I believe that we will never be defined by our mistakes. God knows I've made plenty of them, but through my way of keeping things real, I've found that our brothers and sisters can themselves live a life of freedom from the bondage of self. Freed up is what I say, and together we win. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, everyone out there in the recovery community, I'm really honored and pumped today to bring Drew Hicks. Um, Drew Hicks is the founder of The Clean and Sober, That's What's Up, page and clean and sober that's what's up group now this is one of the largest recovery groups on facebook and he's really making a difference he also has a clean and sober signature collection um that i will leave in the show notes at dream dash xl.com some really cool merch i'm definitely gonna pick some up now with no further ado ladies and gentlemen i want you to really chill out relax get a nice cup of coffee or tea sit back and really get into this episode this is a really clean episode and drew really brings it and really listen to his story and his words i definitely see a movie coming in his future 
This guy's story is super original, no joke. And I'm super pumped and excited for you guys because I was hoarding this episode for myself for about a month and just listening to it every day. And I said, you know what? Maybe you should share it with the Sober's Dope community. So here you go. Pop you can it over and out. Sober's Dope Season 2. We're bringing it with Drew Hicks, Clean and Sober. That's what's up. Let's go. Catch you on the other side. Peace. Hello, friends and family. Welcome back to the Sober's Dope Podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. And today I have an extremely special guest, Drew Hicks. And Drew Hicks is an international recovery advocate, motivational speaker, soon-to-be author, family man, and recovery extraordinaire. He's all over social media, really sharing, giving back. He was one of the first people who kind of brought me in the fold on what I call Facebook recovery groups and just online recovery. And it really means a lot to me today to bring him to you guys. And I know you will find a lot of value in his story and testimony. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, Drew, your sober date is February 26, 2016. So you have about five and a half years of recovery. That's absolutely correct. That's the day that I started living. That's the day you started living. I love that. I love that. Um, can you tell, do you mind telling us a little bit about your story? How did you get clean and sober and a little bit more on the day you started living? Sure, absolutely. Uh, do you want to know part of my uh, the disease the disease story or do you, what? Yeah, I will. Well, I would like to start on yes, how you know the dark, how the darkness, and how you got out of it. Maybe your drug of okay. choice, your particular journey. All right. Um, I was born into a family of addicts. Okay, I was my father was a, a very violent alcoholic, and my mother was a actively using drug addict herself. So, uh, for my first thoughts as a, as a child was drinking and drugging okay those are the first visuals that i had as growing up as, as a young child um i was born into poverty my mother and father were extremely extremely poor um i had an older brother you know uh uh not much older 15 months older than me and um we were we were just it, it, it was the, like if you think of helter skelter environment that's exactly the, what it was what i what i lived in that's how i was those were my first visuals as a child um pain abuse uh, my mother was religiously beaten by my father every day since the, i could remember um until one day she decided to um she had enough you know i think every woman reached, reached the breaking point you know and uh she packed me and my brother up in the middle of the night and we i was we left i was born in california so I, my first few, few years of my life i was in california um had a grandparents had grandparents in, in indiana and my mother was uh she just packed us up in a car. She never didn't even know how to drive a car. She just, it was got so bad that she just got in the car and just started driving to Indiana, you know, with me and my brother. Uh, we didn't even make it there. We made it to Idaho where again, my mother stopped at a friend's house uh, to do the, what addicts do. And um, she met my little brother's father. She conceived my little brother while we were in Idaho for, we didn't even make it. We, she got pregnant. She ended up, st- we ended up staying there for as long as she was pregnant. And he was even worse than my, than my father beat her. My mother was drawn to toxic and hateful, miserable men. That's what my mother's MO was. Yeah. Um, 
she was uh uh i just uh was that's just what we that's what i grew up in so we, we left idaho because she got eventually got tired of that again and he followed us we made it to indiana my first memory really as a child brother was uh if you remember the big boy restaurants with the big boy statue out front right right okay. right 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 well i remember my mother getting beaten in the head with a shotgun oh in that, no in front of that statue as a child that was my my little brother's father followed us to indiana caught up with my mom in a big boy parking lot and um almost almost beat her to death you oh, know she, goodness man after that you know he jumps in a car and runs his ran his car into a moving train and killed himself so uh my mom recuperated eventually she was in the hospital for months um, eventually when she got out she suffered she sunk herself deeper into her disease um right. we were left in a car on a very steep embankment one night uh while she was out in a house doing her stuff with her with her friends uh for hours and eventually this is the late 70s okay there wasn't the safety precautions in cars back then so right. um my little brother managed to get the car in neutral we rolled down this hill steep hill and my brothers jumped out i tried to jump out myself i got wrapped around the seatbelt. i got fling on underneath the car and the car ran me over and wow. i was badly injured and um even in the late 70s the cps didn't they kind of frowned on that and so uh they we were taken from our biological mother at that time All right and, uh, i as the last time i see my mom for 16 years you know is um we were placed in the foster care yeah um to an amazing family a family that anybody in the family you would have loved to have been raised in the, the, you hear a lot of war stories about foster care families my right. that's not my story my story was i got taken from hell and put into heaven in my mind you right. Know? Right. Um, very god-fearing mom, mom and dad both there was no active no disease no history of active addictions in this family they didn't smoke they didn't drink they went to church my dad was a hard hard working man my foster father when i say dad you're gonna i'm gonna i'm referenced to my foster father who will I'm later sure. soon be my adoptive father so um the man who raised me is who i call dad that's right, right? so um hard working man hard working man hard working uh woman you know i i inherited three older sisters that were amazing I inherited an older brother. So there were seven of his children and nine of us in the house. So, uh, but it was a loving, nurturing, supporting family. My father and my mom and my siblings always went to my sporting engagements. They always went to, they, we always supported each other, you know, and no matter what sibling was doing, what the family was always there. Okay. Right. Very close family, very loving. Um, I lived there for four years, brother didn't even i lived there so long that I, I i stopped thinking that this wasn't my now this is my family right i just in my brain said now this is my family and so about the fourth year rolls around and i forgot that we were still foster and these foster children and these children these these parents parents adults were looking to adopt uh some kids they'd raised their children and now they were trying to adopt again okay. you know and, and uh they were interested in me and my two brothers jay and tim and very rich family okay? okay now mind you this is i was eight years old at the time i had been born into poverty right. my foster care family was upper middle class and now this family that was looking to adopt us were rich when i say rich i mean butler rich wow okay? 
that's how rich they were. Okay. And so they would fly us from where we lived here in Warsaw, Indiana. They would fly us every other weekend down to Carmel, Indiana, where they lived. Uh, they lived on this lavish 20 acre estate. Um, it was just exotic animals and every animal you could think of they had. It was just crazy. It was like a fairy tale. It was like Never Neverland. Michael Jackson Never Neverland, you know? Right. And it was like, um, so we were, did this for like six months, this, this, you know, trying to get used to these people, seeing if we were interested. And finally, the question was asked, would you guys want to go forward with adoption? We said, yeah. I mean, what kid wouldn't? I was happy. Yeah. They were, these cute people were amazing. Uh, I, in my, even in my young mind, I, I, I told myself that now me and my brothers have nothing ever to worry about ever again. Right. Okay. You know, no more pain, no more abuse, no more shuffling around. This is, this is for real. This is it. This is adoption. It's final. We're going to be good. Right. And right. so we got, we went through with the adoption. And now this is the craziest part of my whole story. This is where I really learned a lot about people. Okay. Uh, the day that we were adopted, our, our now adopted father had to fly. He was a very rich businessman. He flew all over the world, right? He had to leave that day to go somewhere overseas. Within 24 hours, we were being locked in our bedroom, chained to our bed, cattle, electrically cattle prodded, uh, beaten. This lady was not who she said she was. She fooled the courts. She fooled my foster family. She fooled me and my brothers. She was a very sick, twisted lady. Okay. Wow. Um, we were threatened to the point where we were so scared to say anything that she was threatening to kill my other brothers, right? If you say anything, I'll kill your other two brothers. Now, if my brother said something, she was going to kill me and my, you know, she said that to all of us, right? right. See, in the period of two and a half years that I was with this, this family, I broke 22 bones. Wow. And, um, my brothers were beaten. I was forced to, to, to electrocute my brothers because she told me to, I was, um, I was starved for four and five days at a time. Um, we were not allowed to go to public school. We were homeschooled because of all the bruises and the broken bones. She had a she had a doctor that would come to the house and cast us up because if we went to hospital, now she's going to get exposed. How does how does this kid keep breaking bones, right? right. Um, so she had a, a doctor on payroll. She was she had everything in. And she had all her ducks in a row, you know. And then eventually she got a little. This is where she messed up. Okay got a little brave she started letting us go to private school okay not public school but she put us in a private school now i don't understand why she did this but i'm the only person or only sibling out of me and my two brothers that she sexually molested um for years for two years she did and um uh, i don't even think that i told my brother until years after the fact okay mm -hmm. because of uh embarrassment a lot of reasons, you know, um, but she did. And then, and then that, later after the fact, I found out that I was the only one that she did that to. She didn't touch my brothers at all, which I thank God they never had to endure that kind of abuse because that it really set the tone for what was coming for Drew in the future. Okay. Right. Um, right. Uh, we went to private school. That's where she messed up. Okay. My teacher started uh, catching the signs. Like I'd be wearing long, long sleeve turtlenecks, long pants, cover up bruises on 85 degree weather day you know she's like what are you wearing all these warm clothes for why aren't you wearing shorts like everybody so she made me go in her she called me in her office one day and said you need to raise up the back of your shirt for me please i'm like you know i was stuck a deer in headlights now i'm thinking this lady's gonna 
if anything happens, if she gets exposed, my brother's just going to kill my brothers. Right. That thought was always in my brain, you know? Yes. I was like, no, I, I can't do that. She's like, I'm not asking you to. I'm telling you to. I'm like, I'm not. I tried to run out the room. She grabbed me and she lifted my shirt up. She's. I was bruised from the from the back of my neck all the way to my ankles. Damn oh, it. my goodness, man. And immediately she's like, I knew it. I knew it. You know, and so she called the authorities. Authorities came in, took pictures, took me, my brother, my other two brothers to the police station and not really interrogated us and talked to us. You know, we were small children. I was only in second grade at the time. Oh, my, my God. My brother, my little brother was in first grade and my older brother, Jay, was in third grade. So it was we were still very, very young children. Um, immediately, they took us from the home put us back in the foster care family, annulled that adoption, filed charges on her, but again, she was very rich. She didn't do a day in jail. Uh, she had to pay a fine, and she was told to never, she could never adopt again. And then after the fact, five years later, we found out that she tried to adopt some Haitian children overseas and uh, got caught. But she never did no time, never saw her again after that. Um, my father didn't even know anything about it, my adopted father, okay? He was... A very kind man. I didn't see him much. I didn't really know him. Okay. Um, she pretty much was a gold digger. Okay. He was the money maker. She didn't have to work. They had all this money. Um, but we, we came back to my um, foster care family, the loving family that I told you about. Yes. Um, they opened up their home and they were in tears. They were, they thought they were blaming themselves for not looking into the situation more than they should. They did. Okay, and I understand as a parent today why they were feeling the way, but it really wasn't their fault. Okay, okay. she fooled the court, she fooled the foster care family, she fooled us all. Okay, and um, we had to go to therapy because of all the abuse that we went through. Um, but I knew it, it, at this young age that I had I I carried with me manipulation skills at a young age. Okay, I was just basically I wasn't willing to talk about this ever again. I didn't want to talk about it. I was okay. Uh, it was painful. It was it was it was traumatizing. It was, I mean, I, I experienced things uh, during that two and a half years that I don't wish on anybody. Okay, and so I told this therapist what I thought that he wanted to hear, but and just enough that he could go back and tell my foster care family, yeah, Drew's getting better. He's opening up. You know, eventually, I didn't really tell him nothing. Okay, because mm. uh, I made a decision. I'm not talking about that. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not telling you nothing. I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear, and that's going to be about it. But we're not getting down deep. We're not going to talk. I'm not replaying that tape in my head ever again. Okay. Gotcha. And so we got out of that uh, therapy. We got we got done with it. I sort of, but I never really handled nothing. And as you know, brother, if we don't if we don't handle our stuff, it comes back. Right. Okay? Right. It comes back, and my, and it did for me about age of fifteen. Okay, I started replaying that tape of that abuse and that trauma in my head, and it was really getting me in a depression, right? And um, I was at a friend's house one night, uh, and I was really talking about being depressed to him, and he, he went over and he got his big brother out of his, his room and said, Drew's really depressed. What do you do for depression? He's like, man, I drink. Wow. And so um, I was like, what's drink? Drink what? You know, I was 15, drink pop? What are you talking about? He said, no, I'm drink, I drink beer and I drink uh, Everclear. And so um, he handed me a beer. I drank it. I knew immediately I didn't like alcohol. Okay. Okay. I didn't like the taste of it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. It was just nothing. But the next weekend I come back and I was like, man, that alcohol stuff didn't work, man. I, I, I ain't doing that. He goes, let's well, smoke this. He had a joint. Okay. All right. And so 
I smoked that joint, and I knew, and that really wasn't it. I knew it made me eat a lot, you know, yeah. and I was it made me just chill. And but I wasn't. So now that I've had the alcohol and had the pot, now I'm searching for something else, right? Yeah. What else? Now I'm curious. What else is out there? Yeah. Okay. And then um, I found my home in cocaine. Okay, I got introduced to cocaine at 16. Uh, I became an IV co- a cocaine user at the age of 17. Um, I was shooting three eight balls of cocaine a week from the, at the age of 17 with no job. Now, with that kind of habit, you know that that, that costs money. Right, right, right. And I didn't have no job, so what's in, what, what do we do next? Well, I'm robbing. I'm stealing. I'm, I'm, um, I'm now stealing from my family. Now, you remember my foster care family, they went ahead and adopted me and my brother. Okay. okay? So now... Uh, they're no longer foster. They're my family. Okay. Right. So now I'm stealing amazing people from, you know, I'm robbing them. I'm, my older sisters, siblings were out of the house. I was manipulating them, telling them I needed money for this, 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 and this, and this. Eventually all of that kind of, they got us like, well, we can't keep giving you money. What's this money for? So I went to the street. Now I'm robbing home. Now I'm, now I'm getting in, now I'm getting in deep. I'm, I'm getting plugged into the plugs. Now I'm slanging dope, right? Um, criminal lifestyle very criminal lifestyle and so eventually uh we all get caught and um and i did too now everybody needs to, rem- to know that i have 13 felony drug convictions on my record today okay I have 56 misdemeanor drug convictions on my record today um wow brother i got i got set up at the age of 19 i was bringing a large substantial amount of cocaine across state lines from from Chicago land area to my hometown here in, in Warsaw, Indiana, and got set up, um, got pulled over literally. As soon as I got back into driving down US 30 into Warsaw, Indiana, I got pulled over. It was a setup. They were waiting on me. I got I got popped with two and a half pounds of cocaine in my trunk. Wow. Um, <clears throat> my mom and dad, I, my 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 adoptive parents, was, I love them. You know, um, my, my dad, my parents. The ones that I consider my parents that raised me, they didn't know anything about this lifestyle. Okay, so they didn't know how to handle it. Remember, I come from a fa- this, this family with no addicts, right? I'm the only right. addict in the family, Correct. so they didn't know how to deal with it. And I and my mom and dad are old school, and my father's solution to something like this is be because I didn't raise you to be like this. Okay, you know, I, my mom and dad were respected in the community; they were respected at the church. Right. They were, they were just, and my dad's solution was get out of my house. Okay. Until you get your shit together, you're no longer welcome in this home. Okay. Yeah. That tough love. My father, after the fact, at the time, I'm like, oh my God, you hate me. You don't love me. And I'm getting mad. Right. Uh, right. But la- years later, I realized it was the best thing he could have ever done for me. Period. That's, that's powerful. Now, now my mother, a little bit hard to let go. Okay, because me yeah. and my mom, we had a special bond. You know, she knew all the all the stuff that I went through. You know, and so it was really hard for her to let me go. Okay, she was I was her baby. You know, and so right. she um, <clears throat> it it took her a while until until I until my disease forced her to say we're done. Okay, because right. now I manipulated her because mom, you know, and she's like, she held on for as long as she could, but I'm manipulating her and I'm getting money from her and I'm steadily, she co- she didn't know that anything about what enabling was, right? She just thought that she was loving her, her child, you know, right. um, she didn't, she didn't know anything about the disease and the manipulation and the deceit that comes with it. Right. So, but eventually she caught on 
and uh, she cut me off too. Now I didn't speak to my father for 15 years. Okay. Right. My story, a lot of my adult life was spent behind bars. I have 17 and a half years of incarceration. I spent 15 of those years in, in prison. And um, I got set up, like I told you with that, with that cocaine, I, I did, I got a 14 year prison sentence. Uh, I ended up doing about almost eight years on that sentence. Mm-hmm. But I knew going into prison that I wasn't gonna let prison stop me from getting high. Okay. Okay. I wasn't gonna. So I'm, what I did is I did what I do best. I manipulated the DOC into believing that I knew something about working in a hospital because I knew on the prison grounds that was the only place I could find an insulin syringe. I knew it, mm. right? Because of the diabetics that come yes. and get you. So they gave me a job in the hospital, right? Uh, and I was running passes, okay? Started figuring out the game, the hustle, because everything came through the hospital, right? Yeah. The tobacco, the drugs, prostitution, Everything you needed in prison came through the hospital. I was, I got plugged into all the right areas. I'm getting my needles. There wasn't a day out of the 15 years I spent in prison that I did not shoot dope. Not one day. Incredible. And it may not have been my cocaine, but it was something. Okay. It was something, right? My first drug overdose happened in 1996. I was sitting in, in prison on a toilet. Okay. In 1996, there was no Narcan. There was no this life saving drug. There was just, basically throw this guy in a tub of ice if he wakes up he wakes up and that's what they did got out of prison after doing that eight years uh was out for three months my brother there picked me up three months i made it three months caught another felony drug drug conviction and violated parole went back for another five wow this was my life for the next 25 years okay out for a couple two three months back in for two or three or four or five years okay this was my revolving door of sickness, okay? Now, I had a huge chip on my shoulder now because I hated the DLC for taking all those years away from Drew, right? It was right. it was prison's fault. I didn't like, factor in that I pl- there's some accountability involved here, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, my last prison sentence was in 2008. I did a, a two-year stint for a, a uh, possession of a methamphetamine. And... Um, I was getting ready to get out. I was in, it was 2010, two weeks before I got out. Uh, my father, I hadn't spoken to in 15 years. Mm-hmm. I get a, I get a call from the, from the CEO says, Hicks, you got a visit. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what? I don't get visits. I don't, I never got visits. People didn't yeah. come visit me. You know, your dope friends ain't coming to see you. And that's all I had. Right. Right. So, uh, I was like, you got the wrong guy. I don't get visits. I got two weeks till I get out. Ain't nobody coming to see me right now. Anyways. Um, they said, we ain't playing with you. Get dressed. You got to visit. Okay. So I get up dressed and I go down there, man. And then far in, I see my father. Now, my father was a small man, five foot six at best. Okay. Now I'm six foot one. Okay. I yeah. towered over my dad. Okay. Right. But in my eyes, that man was a giant among giants in my eyes. Okay. Right. He looked like he was 10 feet tall all the way at the back of that. <laughs> right. Uh, vast amount of respect for this man. Okay. Couldn't even look at him in the eye. Right, sat down at that visiting booth, him across from me, and he said, look at me. And when my father spoke, he was the kind of man that demanded respect, okay? Hard working man, he was the ruler of the roost when it came to his household. Hmm. Loving man, he was the father who showed you he loved you. He wouldn't tell you what he loved you, he showed you by providing you with a nice home, uh, 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 clothes, food, supporting you, nurturing, loving. He didn't really come out, he wasn't the verbal, I love you son. 
I didn't really hear him say all that grown much, but he showed me he yeah. loved me, right? Now my mom, she was all the kissy kissy, I love you, baby, but you know, that that was mom. My mom and dad, they really complimented each other well. Um he sits at me, he says, Look at me. And so I raise my head up and I look at him and I'm already in tears because I hadn't spoken to him in fifteen years, right? So uh-huh. uh, he goes, I need you to make me a promise. He's like, I need you to promise me that you're not going to be in your active addiction when, when I leave this world. Because me and your mother, we're tired of this. We mm-hmm. want our son back. And of course, I had spoken 15 years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor my father and say, yes, there wasn't any idea in my mind that I, that I was going to be able to fulfill that. Because I already made plans. In two weeks, I already made, called the dope man. I'm getting ready to go cop. I'm getting ready to, right. hit the, I'm ready to do the same thing I always did. And so I promised him I was not going to be in my active addiction when he left this world. But I thought when he said that at the time, I was like, what are you dying, dad? I was like, you know, because when someone says that, I'm thinking you got something I don't, I should know. Right. He's like, I'm not dying. It's gotten to the point where I'm tired of seeing your mom pace the floor. I said, I'm tired of seeing your mom cry herself to sleep. I'm tired of you going, and if you don't even want to do it for me, you do it for your mother. Okay. Mm. And so I made that promise. But again, as soon as I got out in 2010, I hit the ground running, bro. That promise was a distant memory as soon as my father left, you know, um, Got lucky from 2010 to 2016. I um, I just didn't get caught. You didn't get okay? caught, right? I got a lucky streak, you know, lucky streak. During yeah. this time, I, I I spit out a few kids, okay. And uh, even my children, and I've said it before in many in videos I've done, my children were never enough to get me clean and sober. Never, you know. My mom would throw them in my face too. Hey, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your children, you know. Uh, my last drug overdose was in 2015. I, uh, I did a shot of heroin and methamphetamine, I, uh, cocaine mix all together. And, um, uh, I overdosed, uh, I woke up over in Fort Wayne, Indiana a hospital, in Fort Wayne and, um, two all out of my throat. You know, you've seen all, you know, I was, uh, they hit me with back then that Narcan had just come out. Thank God they hit me with Narcan 12 times. Wow. And, and they don't even do that anymore. Not that many times, you know, it was crazy. And so I made it, I come to, I'm in a hospital bed. Here's the, I'm going to set the scene for everybody who's going to listen. I'm in a hospital bed. I wake up, there's nobody in the room. So I thought, okay, the, the blinds were shut. It was kind of dark. Uh, I didn't see nobody, but all of a sudden I hear somebody crying. Mm-hmm. Okay. My nine-year-old daughter was at the foot of the bed crying. Wow. Right? She was holding on to, she was holding on to my feet, my ankles, you know, with her head between my feet and crying and I look up and I finally pulled that tube out of my throat and I'm like baby what's going on she was nine she's like she looks up at me and she says it's hard today to even say it but I still but I said, why am I not enough for you to get clean and sober wow powerful you know and I'm like I had no answer for her. you know I really had no answer for her. and um <clears throat> as sick as I was brother two and a half hours later they released me from the hospital and I was off to the races again. Wow. You know, um, uh, did a shot of dope hour after I left the hospital. Um, brother, I was sick. You know, I was sick. I was sick. I was, I was allowing past traumas to dictate the direction that I chose to take my life. Okay. I was allowing that lady who did those sick, vile things to me and my brother at a young age to control me in my adulthood to, um, to, to allow me to take away my, my ability in being a father to my children. To, to take away my ability and being an upstanding uh, member of my community. She, she took me away from being a, a son to my, my parents. You know, she, 
she robbed me and I allowed her to do that. See, I tell people all the time, trauma is not our, our, our fault, but healing from it's our responsibility. I love okay? that. It's, it's our responsibility to heal from it. Nobody's going to do it for us. You know, Superman's not flying out of the sky to save you or me, brother. Okay. Right. We got, there's a, and, and, but it's the willingness that, that I needed. Okay. I always knew that there had to be honesty and open-mindedness, you know, but willingness. Okay. And you got to have the willing before the walk, because I could tell you right now, I didn't know what I wanted on February 26, 2016. All I knew is I had to be willing. So you have to have the willing before the walk. Right. After the fact, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see that, Hey, I really do want this. Okay. Correct. February 26th, <clears throat> speaking of that date, 2016, like I like to say, the day that I started living, my car was surrounded by drug task force. There was a substantial amount of heroin, methamphetamine in the car. Okay. 20 ounces to be exact. Okay. I was, I was, I was running dope again and I got set up again and I had a 45 caliber handgun pistol under the seat. And this time I'm not going back to prison because I know what I got in this car and this handgun being a felon. I already done 15. I'm getting ready to do 50 or the rest of my life now. Wow. And so wow. I'm going to pull out this pistol and I'm going to do the whole suicide by cop. That's mm -hmm. what I was going to do. And as I had my hand on the gun, this is where God likes to step in front of Drew, right? Uh, right? I got this feeling something was looking at me. Now I looked down at my speedometer because I knew once I pulled it out, they were going to shoot me. I knew it. Okay. They had surrounded shotguns hang. I mean, they were 15 of them. Right. And so God pulled me up. I look up and at the, and then on my speedometer in my car, I had a picture of my, my daughter. Wow, right? man. That's and I'm look heavy. now there's now my daughters are burning a hole in my head. Right. And I'm staring right at them and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to die in front of my children. Mm. Okay. And so I let go of the gun. It was enough for me to go to jail, you know? And so I went to jail. I found the dope. I found the gun. I'm in jail, detoxing in the county jail, flipping and flopping. I had severe heroin addiction at the time, methamphetamine, cocaine, anything I could pull up in a, in a needle. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm withdrawing like a sick, puking, pissing, crapping all over myself in the county jail, cramp, you know, the whole withdrawal scene, man. And so two weeks, I'm in a holding cell. They finally got, I got a little bit better. I'm in jail for about two months. Let's bring my first plea bargain. If you want to call it a plea bargain, 50 years. Man, so didn't have no money for no lawyer, and by the time I done burn every bridge, nobody's helping me no more. Okay, now I have a public defender, right? Now who's working for the state, right? So he's like, you probably should sign it. You're not going to get nothing better. Well, behind the scenes, I had a probation officer who I had been on probation with for the better part of 25 years. She was fighting for me to get put into this new program that they just started in my hometown called Drug Court, mm. right? And the courts laughed at the probation officer. Are you kidding me? We're not putting Drew Hicks on drug court. He'll make a mockery of this program. He'll take off running. He'll, he'll, he, he, we're not doing it. He's not coming on. So she kept Adam all for like two, three weeks. She was in his judge's office. He's like, she's like, he's like, finally, he's like, all right, fine. Whatever, Renee. That's her name, Renee. Uh, we're going to try this, but if he does what we think he's going to do, this is on you and you're going to take the hit for it. And so she said, okay. So they come to me the day after they, they brought that 50 year plea bargain to me and Manning's his mom, that 50 year. And they said, uh, they pulled me out of the jail cell and I'm standing there and he, 
says, you need to sign this. And I was like, what's this? He's like, this is the drug court. I go, what's drug court? He's like, well, he gives me the rules and stuff. And I'm in this little room. I was like, wait a minute. Are you telling me if I sign that piece of paper right there, I get to go free then? And just mind you, yesterday they just offered me 50 years, right? Incredible. So what do you think an addict like me is going to do? Now I can, now I'm thinking I can go get high again, right? right? Because that's what I was thinking. And, um, he's like, well, not today, but within the next couple of days, I said, give me the pen. And so, but to get on drug court, you have to be sentenced. What they do is they sentence you and they hang the sentence over your head. Cause if you don't do what they say in drug court, you go to prison for, for the sentence that they sentence you to. Okay. Right? They end up sentencing me to 56 years. Jeez. No pressure. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so unbeknownst to me, part of that plea bargain also was I had to go to my sober living house in my, in my hometown for a year. It's a year program. Right. And so I didn't get to get out on the streets. So to speak. I mean, I was out, but I had to be sober living. I had to get a job. I had to be, you know, and so I, um, that's what I did. I went to the sober living house and about the second day in, I started really sitting on me, man. Cause I had been clean long enough, two and a half months. Right. That was just dry addict. There was no program and no, no higher power. Nothing. It was just two and a half months in the county jail. And, um, it started thinking, you know, uh, my then girlfriend who turned into my fiance, who's now my wife, we've been together, we've been together 10 years. Right. Um, started thinking about her, started thinking about my daughters, started thinking about my family, thinking, you know what? I don't really want to spend the rest of my life in prison. You know, I'm burnt, I'm burnt on that scene, man. I was introduced to a 12 step program at the Silver Living House. Okay, didn't know anything about AA, NA, CA, CR, didn't know anything about any of that stuff, right? I first time I got clean was at the age of 42. I started putting the needle in my body at 17. I put I took the needle out of my arm at 42. Okay? Right. And so didn't want nothing to do with recovery, didn't did I was basically forced into recovery. I don't like for people to say if you're forced into it it won't work. Well, that's not true. It worked for me. Okay? That's my story. It may, it may not work for everybody else, but that's my story. Um, I got introduced to 12 step program. Uh, I was told I needed to get a sponsor. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. Right. So, um, didn't get a sponsor immediately for the first, for the next two and a half months in the sober living house. I basically just rode the coattails of other people's programs, you know, got lucky during this sober living house. Like I said, before we started, I created a group on Facebook called clean and sober. That's what's up. Now, this group was inspired by my daughter, my, my daughter, Chloe. She would call me every day for the first two weeks I was in sober living and said, Dad, you know, this is the one who was crying at the foot of the bed. Okay? Yes. Are, you, are you clean and sober still? And I was like, yeah, baby, of course. And she goes, that's what's up. That's how, <laughs> that's how clean and sober was titled. Well, that's how I right. got the name. Now we all know that clean and sober has a, almost 100,000 members from all over the world. Okay? Right. It's a, almost a household name in the recovery community. Yes. Um, I got a sponsor who I found in my group, a man who kept firing shots at me. I thought he was taking shots at me, right? So I finally messaged this man and said, hey, he was living over in Akron, Indiana, right down the road from me. I was like, bro, why are you taking shots at me? I'll, I'll kick you out of my group. He's like, I'm not taking shots at you. He had tied the time he had 26 years, right? Okay. And so he was just, he seen something in me and he was trying to, you know, he said that, I see something good in you. And I think that I think this group could be something really good for, for the recovery community, but 
I'm going to challenge you. I want to challenge you, you know, like kind of a mentor. Stuff. So I was like, you know what? He did this for like, we talked for two weeks back and forth. Finally, I had got enough cojones to say, hey, man, could you be my sponsor? Wow. So took him on as my sponsor. He's been my sponsor for over five years. Um, the man, I don't even look at him as a sponsor now. He's, um, he's my, um, my mentor, father figure, uh, best friend. Right. Uh, me and this man have worked the steps. We're currently working the steps for the fifth time, you know, with the ongoing thing. We know we don't stop doing this stuff, bro. So, Correct. uh, I've worked the traditions with him four times. Um, and he's the old school, the anonymity. You know, he right. likes it and not anonymity. And I respect that. As you all know, Drew Hicks is the refuse to be anonymous guy. So we right. kind of compliment each other well, right? <laughs> right? You know, uh, cause he's always getting shots from his community down. Cause he now lives in Florida, right? Okay. Um, from his community down. Hey, you got that sponsee's at that famous sponsee. And he's like, uh, he works a hell of a program, you know? That's and right. so when, when I started doing social media stuff, brother, I did not ever think that it would become what it is today. Okay. There was, you couldn't have told me in a million years that I would have better part of a half a million followers. Are you crazy? Right. The only people following Drew Hicks before was following me to jail. You know, that's, <laughs> right. that's the only thing, you know? So, um, I graduated the drug court program perfectly passed 216 consecutive drug screens. I passed all the classes that required, um, graduated the, uh, sober living house perfectly successfully. Um, as soon as I got out of, uh, sober living and got to come home with my family. I, uh, by that time, my group had gotten so big. I was getting pretty well known around the country. I started getting job offers in the treatment industry. Okay. Okay. Um, I ended up taking a job for a treatment facility in South Florida. Uh, basically my job would be placing people in the facility. Um, and I did, I worked in the treatment industry for, I ended up working for one of the largest treatment facilities in the country for like two and a half years. I did the treatment industry for about three and a half years. And then it was just getting too much for me. Okay. Right. Um, it was taking away from my recovery. I wasn't working my program the way I should have. I wasn't really, I had some really underlying other issues, you know, that I wasn't dealing with like a sex addiction, um, manipulation. As long as I, you know, I told myself I stopped using drugs and alcohol. I'm okay. Well, that's not true. Okay. Um, hurt my, my fiance at the time. I, uh, there's a lot of, uh, infidelity involved in my relationship with my fiance cheating. You know, um, this is during recovery. And I want to caution brothers and sisters that you can do all this stuff while you're recovering too. Okay. Correct. This is not just an active addiction behavior. Okay. You can carry these poor and bad behaviors into your recovery. And if you don't handle it, you got to handle it, man. Um, found this man in my local hometown, uh, Pastor Pat, um, got a little bit more closer to my, I was simply in my live videos, I would simply be talking about my higher power. Uh, me and this man, my Pastor Pat, we worked with each other, met almost every week, you know, got my, got a, an amazing relationship with God today. And today, if you see my videos, I always address higher, I don't even say higher power. I say God, because that's, that's my higher power. Amen. And, I just started building my platforms, concentrating on Drew, concentrating on my family, um, healed the, you know, I had to, you know, heal me, but I had to heal my fiance as well, you know, and my family, because this, this disease spills into everybody's life who loves you. Okay. And so that's what I did. And I took a little, I took a major step back from the last two year and a half. I would say I've taken a kind of a step back from social media. Um, and I've concentrated on Drew. 
Okay, I've concentrated on my my fiance, who which we are now married. I just got married. Yeah. Um, I just got married to my wife, uh, June twelfth. Oh um, man, congratulations! Amen. Thank you. It's it's amazing. Um, and I still I get you know my recovery's been taking me all over the world. Okay, I get to travel around the world speaking. Okay, I just did an event up in Michigan. I'll be going out to Utah here. A uh, week after next, and I'll be going to Texas. I just got a big, you know. I just God, He opens doors for me, brother. Right. You know, uh, today I have a very, as you know, large following on social media. I have a, almost a half a million followers on my platforms on social media. Um, my my best advice to any and, and all addicts in active addiction or in recovery is just keep it real. Right. Keep it real with yourself, with yourself, first and foremost. Because, you know, in a world full of fakes, be that one being real, okay? It's not easy being real, brother. You know that because we have a lot of shame about how we used to be inside us, right? I do too. How I treated my my wife, how I treated my parents, how I I was in my community, the things I'd done to people, the hurt and harm and all the things that came with Drew. Because when you, you wouldn't have wanted to be around Drew five and a half years ago. I was, uh, hell came with me. Okay. And so, um, I have a God of restoration in my life. Amen. You know, and, um, if he can restore a man like Drew Hicks, he can restore any broken soul out there in the world, man. Um, I'm telling you, brother, I've been to the lowest that life has offered. I've experienced so much, a vast amount of pain and trauma throughout my life. But I know today that I live my life for God and for Drew. And when right. I mean by Drew, I don't, I, people want to say, oh, yeah, you got to work. You hear it. And I don't like it. I don't like this saying. I'm going to say it. People say work a selfish program. And I don't like that. I don't, I don't think it's be, I don't think it's called being selfish when I finally get and start working on Drew. Okay? Right. It's self care. Self care is not being selfish. Right. 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 People get that little confused. All right. Yes. You know, it's, it's, I think we've all should have been doing this years ago. And you know, if we were all, all right. been working on ourselves years ago, we wouldn't have hurt as many people as we hurt. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have caught as many felonies as we caught. We wouldn't have done all the nasty stuff that we did. You know, self-care, you know, it's the greatest middle finger in the world. Okay. I'm telling you right now. Uh, but that's what I do today, brother. I, 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 I extend my hand to any and all still sick and suffering addicts all over the world, you know, and, um, and I bring my wife now with me. My wife oh, now. Oh, beautiful. My, my wife's on my platform now, and she is such a huge inspiration to so many. See, my wife's a normie, okay? She's, she doesn't struggle. She's never struggled. But she brings a powerful message that she can speak from the significant other that had to be dealing with an addict, right? Right. You know, because they're the people that are, are left. You know that we don't really talk about the, the we talk about the addict right all the time the suffering right. addict. what about the suffering fiance the suffering yes. mom and dad the suffering child right? right the blameless children you know um correct her perception on how she endured because she should have left me years ago you know um she was we've been together 10 years over 10 years now and for for the first five years i was very sick okay um but she stayed She's only, she's been the one constant thing in my life other than God the last 10 years. She stayed, she stayed, she stayed, she stayed. And if you'd ask her right now, and she's in the other room, she would say, I would not ever do that again. Okay. Amazing. Um, 
but she's just happy that she has this man today. Okay. Um, God's fearing man, love the Lord, you know, um, right. I, I'm raising my children to love the Lord, Amen. you know, and, and I'm, I'm raising my babies, you know, I'm very, I'm very open and out honest with my children about, uh, the act, my active addiction. I'm very, uh, cause you know what? My disease affected everybody in my, in my family. I'm going to make sure that my recovery does too. Okay. Correct. I like that. I love that. I love that. That's nice. So, so let me, let me ask you, um, how's mom and dad now? Mom is amazing. Mom is amazing. Um, my father, I lost him three years ago. Oh, um, condolences. My, it, yeah, it was one of the hardest things while in recovery. Okay. Right. Um, right. I was blessed to give this man two and a half years of recovery. Oh, man. Now, here we go back to that promise I made right. him. I told him I was never going to fulfill, right? Amen. Amen. I was able to fulfill that promise to my yes. dad. Yes. He was able to see his son get well. I was in a good spot when my dad left. Um, two weeks before we, he, he left us, um, I was over at the house. And uh, like I would normally did on Sundays, would go see my mom and dad since I was in recovery and check on them and, and see mom, give her a kiss and talk to dad. Uh, my, it was cold that day. He was standing over by the fireplace and he said, come here, son. Now, remember, I told you my dad was not the man who told you. He showed you. Okay. Right. Um, gave me a hug, which was weird because my dad wasn't a hugger either. Right. He held me tight and it was a long hug, you know, almost awkward. Like, because dad don't hug and this is a very long hug. Uh, and he whispered in my ear, I'm proud of you, son. No. That's beautiful. Damn, it touched me. Uh, you know, I lost my pops when I was um, yeah, 13. And that was that trauma and stuff was part of my catalyst and, the you know, mm -hmm. my trauma and drinking. But it, it's, it's amazing to hear that you made that promise. You was able to reconcile that relationship. That's poetry in motion right there. That's mm -hmm. poetry in motion. So, Drew, you have a fascinating story. I mean, like on the surface and on the paper, it's like, ah, uh, if we, I, the courts are looking at it like this is Drew, no way he, I can't see it, right? And right. you are a miracle today. And when I met you, um, it was about I would say a good three years ago online. I think about mm -hmm. three years roughly when I first started. Yes, because that's before I started the podcast. When I was on doing the social media thing, and I would have never known any of this stuff. Like you've been through so much, you the real deal. You you know what I'm saying? Like you mm -hmm. was thugging it, rugging it, doing it all, and God restored you. Um, before I go, I would just like to ask one question: Did the community and recovery is expanded like never before? And for people like you and I who had, you know, the grace of God and mercy, and also the support of Twelve Steps at AA, we know the benefits. But there's an ever-growing amount of people who feel kind of left out or marginalized from AA or probably feel like it's not for them, especially younger kids. And I'm, you know, I try to work with everyone and see different point of views. Any advice for those people who can't see the benefits of 12 steps, but anything that we could um, extend to them and um, from your perspective and how it helped you and maybe change the narrative a bit. You know, I'm a, I'm a brother who supports any and all paths to recovery. Let's right. get that out there in the open, okay? I don't okay. care if you work AANA or if you don't work in a program or if you are a smart recovery uh, 
God-driven recovery, whatever your recovery is, I support all paths to recovery. I want people. I even support Likewise. the MAP program. Okay. Yes. Um, I get a lot of flack from the 12-step program for supporting the MAP program, but I do. Okay. Now, my best advice to anybody who's struggling with maybe trying AA or NA or any 12-step programs is um, try it anyways. Okay. Try it anyways. If, if, if I'm a 12-stepper, so I'm going to advocate for it. Okay. Because right. I know what it's done for my life. Okay. Right. And, um, but if you don't like it, there's always other avenues to go down. Okay. But you can't knock something if you ain't tried it. Okay. Right. It's, it's really easy to say 12 steps safe for me if you've never done it. Okay. Right. Now, if you, if you go into this completely surrendering and, and, and giving your will back to the, where it's supposed to go. Okay. With an open mind, because we're so closed minded, right. You know, there's where the freedom truly came for me. It was getting open minded. Okay. okay. When I'm able to listen to you, brother, tell me and give me a suggestion without saying, oh man, you don't know crap. Right. Uh, I, it's my way or the highway. Well, my way and highway acquired a disease of addiction. Okay. Just get that out there. So just letting you know. Um, but you know what? Try it. My suggestion is to try it. Now, if they've tried it and they don't work, you know, there's always, you know, online stuff too. Okay. You know, a lot of people are scared to go to meetings because of social anxiety, right? Mm. A lot of people are out in the open and, 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 and socially uh, not awkward, like, like, unlike me. I, I, I'm a speaker. I'm a, I'm a talker. I, I, this is what God gave me when he released that obsession from the drug for me. He replaced it back with something else. He don't give and not give back. Okay. He gave me back a voice. He gave me back passion. He gave me back drive. He gave me back ambition. He gave me back a love, a lot of it. Okay. Right. Because that's my suggestion. Try it. If it don't work, if it doesn't work, well, we could try something. There's always other avenues and you can always reach out to me because I have many resources for people all over the world. Okay. I got resources for just about every country in, the, in, in the, uh, on this planet and in, in, in this state, the, this country that we live in, every state. So reach out to me. I have, I, we'll, we'll make a plan and we'll, and we'll go at it. You know, but you're going to have to, got to be honest going into it. Got to be honest. Lastly, um, we have this parallel between mental health and addiction, trauma and addiction, pain and addiction, depression and addiction. And I think a lot of your narrative could have been a lot different if you didn't experience that early childhood abuse. So you attempted to self-medicate an underlining mental health issue through the Mm -hmm. abuse and stuff like that. And that's why your story was so off the hook. But um for someone out there who's dealing with something similar, right? Yeah. What are you doing now to handle that? Now that drugs is off the table and you're in recovery, a lot of that trauma and pain may still be there lingering. What advice and how are you dealing with that now for anyone in the future? And just from your perspective, personally, personally, uh, I recommend therapy, you know, right. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. Okay. I'm a brother just like you, just trying to get another day. Okay. I work a great program with an amazing sponsor. I have God as a higher power. Um, but when it comes to the mental health issues that we all, or some of us may have, I highly suggest therapy. Okay. Uh, talk to a professional. Do not take advice from somebody on social media who does not have the accreditation. Okay. okay. Because that's dangerous. Okay. Talk to a talk to a, a mental health professional, whether that be therapist, counselor, psychiatrist, psychologist. I went to one for years. Okay, um, 
and it really worked wonders, man. I mean, I, I was reluctant at first because I had a stigma against shrinks. Okay. Uh, but man, that therapy, 12 step program, because 12 step program in a way is a kind of a therapy. Okay. Yes. It really is. Especially when you hit those, those rough steps, right? That fourth step, right? You know, that, that moral inventory. Moral inventory. You know? Yes. And then we got, and you got the eight, nine, the men's, you know, that's, yeah. a, that was all, I mean, and then you got, you know, you know, just inner, it's all therapy. Okay. But one-on-one -on -one therapy with, between you and another human being, I highly suggest uh, therapy. You know, it worked wonders in my life, you know, that and God. Whew. Wow. That's, that's a, that's a recipe for success. Amen. Brother. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God is good. Hey, Drew, you gave us one exceptional podcast today. I really needed this. It was clean, you know, um, and just beautifully done. And thank you for sharing your story so eloquently. I think this is going to help a large amount of people because sober is dope is very one. We did. We have a large community. We have members that's, you know, coming off of hard drugs, alcohol, sex addiction addictions are, is addiction that's what i tell people we're all healing and mm -hmm. just like they say in first peter chapter five verse eight be sober be vigilant and i always tell people god put that there for a reason it's not just about substances it's about a state of mind a state of heart and a state of being so before we go i just want to say thank you and can you let everyone know where they could find you online how they could book you for speaking and how they could be part of clean and sober that's what's up Absolutely, brother. Before I go and before I say any of that, Drew Hicks supports Sober is Dope, brother. You're doing some amazing things, man. Thank I you so much. I've caught a few of your podcasts already, man. You're doing exceptional work, man. And you ought to be extremely proud of yourself, brother. You're really, you're really helping some people out there, man. And Thank so you. I support Sober is Dope. But to get a hold of me, you can follow me on my public figure page on uh, Facebook, Drew Hicks Public Figure, or you can follow me on my Clean and Sober That's What's Up page. I have two Clean and Sober That's What's Up. I want your audience to know. One's a group and one's a page. Okay. okay. I do all my live videos now on the Clean and Sober That's What's Up page. Okay. So go like and follow the page to get notifications. I have my YouTube channel, Clean and Sober That's What's Up. And I, you can follow me on Instagram, The Real Drew Hicks. The real so, Drew Hicks, the one and yeah, only. <laughs> that's the one. Hey, man, there's hundreds of fake accounts, bro. So I, I know, I, I know. Hey, so, Drew, hopefully they do a movie about you one day, brother. This is how, yeah, your, your story is the real deal, man. So thank you for having us today. And we, we are extremely excited. And on that note, you're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. That's a wrap for our amazing episode with Drew Hicks. We love you all. Go in peace and we'll catch you on the other side. Clean and sober. That's what's up. to another brother and sister gets better the love from mothers with your hard weather we survive near death and pain i promise try hard we escape the rain together maybe we can heal the scars and find peace inside and be with god just forgive yourself first and go deep within 
Get sober for yourself, get clean from sin. I was sober eight years and my life is new. If I can, you can. I was just like you. Just love yourself enough on this lovely day. Don't die, just try and find the strength to pray. Yeah. to another you deserve to live you deserve a fresh start you deserve your kids you deserve to be free from the cycle of use deserve love deserve peace no life of abuse there's a letter from pop and i'm open to hope mr root beer float mr sober is dope yo we can do it someday we'll shine just bet on yourself one day at a time and make peace with your past and clean the slate go on new dates and recreate your fate So let's detox and be free forever. Start now and have faith and we can heal together. Friends and family, welcome to Soap is Dope. Listen, this episode is impromptu. I'm on the road and I just wanted to reach out to everyone in the Soap is Dope community. You know, lately I have been introduced to a dark side of the recovery community and I just want to clear the air on what Soap is Dope is and what Soap is Dope is not. For anyone that's listening, I said this from the beginning and I just want everyone to know because, and I will give you more context later, but that Sober's Dope has never been part of any detox program, any um, rehab program. Um, I'm anti-body brokering and um, trying to capitalize on people who are suffering and in pain, Right. The most you're going to get out of us is advice, my experience. You know, we have a Sober's Dope shop for our merch and stuff to spread the message, which all proceeds go either to charity or back to the podcast. Um, or, um, you know, I'm coming out with a book and stuff. But the reason why I'm saying this is that I was introduced and just um, someone let me know what was going on in the industry. And there's a lot of scumbags out there that's really powerful in the recovery community. A lot of celebrities, a lot of people that's up there. I'm not mentioning names, but you know, these guys get paid a lot of money to, you know, like market and blow their profiles and personalities up so they have influence so they can railroad people into these rehab programs even when they're not ready through insurance scams and that shit just makes me stick sick to my stomach the other thing sober dope sober is dope is and is not is a place where we use the platform to solicit people to do things like you know 
anything that may be inappropriate. You know, I never talk to anyone inappropriately and I never come at anyone inappropriately. And I just want anyone that's listening, especially um, the people that's struggling in addiction, that this is not a place where, you know, I'm going to jump in your DMs or somebody on Sober's Dope team is going to come at you incorrectly. We really value the sanctity of the platform as a safe place for anyone that's going through something to come. And another another thing that Sober is Dope is and is not is we're not a place where we judge people who relapse or judge people who fell back into their addiction. Right? So, like, if you're struggling and you're going through something, don't feel like you can't talk to me. Like, there's a lot of people, especially myself, that may have felt like, you know, oh, it's all good and we're friends when I'm sober, but what happens when I relapse? Listen, this podcast is for those who are struggling and we all struggle day to day. So if you relapse, don't feel ashamed. This is a time when I want to speak to you. I want to kick it with you. I want to be like, you know, hit me up. Like, let's work it out. I'm never going to judge you and I'm never going to be in a position to judge you. That's not what Sober is Dope is. It would never be that. This is not a place for people who are perfectly in recovery, just hanging out and judging others. This is a place for when you up, you up. And when you down, you down. We want to be there for you when you fall just as much as we're there for you when you're up. And, I, and I'm just not the personality or the type of person that's going to play games with anyone in the recovery or addiction community. I love you all. I love you guys. And I'm the real deal. And when I say that, it's important to me. And, you know, I know sometimes you guys may see me promote my music and my artists. And here's the deal with that. There's life after recovery. So, you know, it, I sat down one day and said, you know, I want to bring all aspects of my life to my recovery. And that's anything I'm doing, whether I'm working on a book, whether I decide to be an astronaut tomorrow, I'm going to talk about it and share it with you guys. And the fact that I was able to bring music into the fold um, and share music that reflected my passion for recovery with you was important. But why am I saying that is a lot of people who make their platforms about them and it becomes less about the recovery community or people that's dealing with addiction. And, you know, I don't want this to be an egocentric platform where it's all about pop. It should be really all about you. And that's the message I've been driving home. It's really all about you. I don't get up every day to talk, to hear myself. I get up every day and I think, well, let me check in on my my people and let me give them some information or let me share something that can help them throughout the day. And in doing so, if I can share aspects of myself, maybe I can um, really add value to their life. And um, and then it's therapeutic for me, too. Sometimes I have to get things off my chest. So what Sober's Dope is, and it is originally was designed as something for the people. Something for someone who's in addiction to listen to. Like, I know I got this place where I can listen to things about sobriety. So when I'm ready, I could build up that, you know, storehouse of information and wisdom that can help me transition over to my recovery. And it's also for us in recovery that's like, yo, we want to hear a lot of fly stuff and science and motivation and information that can help us get through our day because we live this one day at a time lifestyle. And, you know, Zig Ziglar said it the best. Um, motivation is like bathing. We have to do it daily. And um, 
I love you guys, man. I really do. And I just finding out that a lot of these guys out here with these platforms work for these big recovery places. They get paid money. They have quotas and they just count in bodies. They don't care if getting you into rehab that particular day is going to be detrimental to you. They don't care. They just want to. It's just a check. And that breaks my heart. And I talk a lot about detox on the podcast because that was part of my process. I talk a lot about rehab because if I didn't go to rehab, it wouldn't work. But I never, ever, ever came at anyone and recommended them to go to a detox and rehab. And this is why I have been approached to do that. And I turned people down because I said, look, I know the work is on the streets. I know the work is in the meetings. I know the work is talking directly to the people. And when that person or that addict or is specifically ready and tired of the bullshit and the darkness of their addiction, they're going to reach out to someone locally that can help them get into a detox and rehab. They don't need me trying to convince them to do it because if they're not ready, it's not going to work. And you're going to be wasting insurance money, taxpayers money and people's time. And there's a lot of people out there who really need the, 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 the help and the help should be there when they're ready, not when someone tells them they're ready. I'm not an interventionalist. I'm not going to come to your house and try to stop you in the process. The only intervention I can do is get up every day and do a podcast episode for you guys. Because I love you and that's my contribution to the cause. That's my contribution to breaking the stigma. That's our contribution to the cause. Because Sober is Dope is not just about Pop Buchanan. There's a team behind me that believe in me and love me. And they're like, look, man, you know, you should keep doing this. And lastly, the other day I was on, um, the other night, it was real late, about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was up just working on thumbnails for YouTube and trying to clean up my YouTube channel for Sober is Dope. And... I was so excited to launch this video podcast for Spotify. And I just was like doing all of this stuff. And I was saying to myself, why are you doing this, man? Like, you know, you got to You got to get back to work. You got to You know, you got to do things with yourself. And why are you up at four o'clock in the morning? Like doing all of this stuff for sober is dope. Like, you know, maybe you took sober is dope to the point where it's completed. Maybe you did it. You contributed and now you could go on and do something else. And this just was a thought that flashed through my mind. Like maybe I said all that I could say. I did all that I can do. And, you know, like 15 minutes later, I got a message from someone on YouTube and I just had posted this video a few hours earlier. And this is what the message said. The guy says, I'm coming down off amphetamines, man. My whole world is spiraling. Everything is spinning. I needed to hear this. Never stop what you're doing, bro. And I get those messages like really sporadically. And that just reminded me of why I do it. And that reminded me of what Sober is Dope is and what Sober is Dope is not. Sober is Dope is a place to inspire, motivate, and encourage healing and transformation in all aspects of our lives. Finances, motivationally, spiritually, love-wise, but most importantly, addiction and mental health. We 
we struggle. There's people that's dealing with pain every day. Pain and trauma is the name of the game. And what we do, we try to drink and drug to numb that pain. And my job is to let you know that there's better ways. And I'm not perfect. I struggle every day. If I was a mutant, I would be the phoenix of addiction. That's how strong my addiction is. And I fight it. I look, I I get up every day and there's times where, you know, the thought crosses my mind. Well, maybe I could have a drink or maybe I could just goof off a bit, blow off some steam. Then I remember the darkness and I remember why I started. And I'm like, hell no, you can't do that because you're an addict and you'll die. And you made a promise to God on that day when you got on your knees in the middle of the street in Brooklyn. And God answered your prayers not to play games with God in that way again. And that's what Sober is Dope is. Sober is Dope is a place where you're safe. You're not going to get no bullshit from Pop Buchanan about, yo, maybe you go to rehab or I got this place. What I want from you guys is to support me in this way. Continue to listen to the podcast. Share the podcast with people that need it. When you can, pick up some Sober is Dope merch and give it to somebody. Somebody that could use it. Um, and that's just because I want to get the message out there and I, and I like it. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm aware that I'm not the gap of Gucci, right? I'm not trying to create a brand and, you know, but I'm trying to create a movement of awareness and that's what that's about, right? And, you know, I'm coming out with a book and I, and I really believe in it and I want you guys to support me and I want to support you and I made the book for you and I made the book for addicts and people that's struggling, Right? Um, that's my deal, man. If you new to Sober is Dope, if you're listening to this for the first time, listen, I'm Pop Buchanan. I'm 42 years old. I'm a kid from Brooklyn, New York. I grew up as a Catholic. My brother was a Catholic priest. I was an altar boy. I went to Catholic school. Then I went to college and I started drinking. I made a lot of money in real estate. I, my life spiraled out of control. Um, uh, my girlfriend that I really loved broke up with me in my twenties and I lost my mind and I was so heartbroken that I just started drinking. The drinking became so problematic that I couldn't stop. That addiction and that compulsion almost dragged me to hell and almost killed me. And I had to give my life back to God, get on my knees in the middle of the street after I hit rock bottom and start my life over again. And after all of that, I'm eight years sober, December 15, 2020. One makes nine years of sobriety And I'm proud of myself I started Sober is Dope To share my story To motivate And to let you guys know You're not alone And I decided the other day When that young man Gave me that message Is to not to stop And to continue to do this Until I'm old and I'm done Sober is Dope Is a labor of passion and love And I did it for you And I did it for me And I did it for us So If you're new to Sober is Dope That's my deal I'm one of the good guys And I'm proud of that I'm not perfect I'm an addict. Addicts carry a lot of shit from their addiction into their recovery. You know, we have to be mindful to remember not to be deceitful. Remember not to try to take advantage of people. Remember not to drag our behaviors, whether conscious or unconscious, from our addiction into our recovery. Right? Because it's one thing to be sober, but you could still be an addict at heart and still be an asshole. And we don't encourage that. We encourage the healing to be beyond the addiction. To really improve the moral character and our character defects. To ask God to remove these moral and character defects so we can be better human beings. And that means that none of us are perfect and we're always thriving to be better. And that's the adventure. That's the thrill. That's the journey. 
You're listening to Soap is Dope. I'm Pop Buchanan, the founder of Soap is Dope. And listen, I want to throw this out there. Soap is Dope is also Soap is Doper. It's the same company, right? Soap is Doper was started to as a branch to appeal more to the teenagers. So if you see Soap is Doper out there, anyone trying to knock us off, Soap is Dope is Soap is Dope is the same thing. I'm going to start bringing on really young kids under the Soap is Doper moniker to talk about teenage addiction because that's really deep. Sometimes Sober's Dope gets really deep. We get a lot of really heavyweights on here. But I remember when I was young, I wanted something fun and really cool. So Sober's Dope is the same thing as Sober's Dope. I just wanted to clear that because you're going to start seeing a lot. Um, and we put that on the back burner, but I'm going to bring it back to life because I really been talking to a lot of kids and I want to get a lot of young um, kids on to give us, the adults, a lot more perspective on where the addiction may have started in our journey. I think if we listen to kids in addiction and teenagers in addiction, we'll learn a lot about ourselves. So that's my deal. You're listening to Soap is Dope. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. I love you all. And this episode is called What Soap is Dope Is and What Soap is Dope Is Not. And we're not scumbag body brokers who use our platform, the railroad people, to do our bidding and to make us money. We don't do that. We're here to help add value to the recovery community and most importantly, the addiction community. I love you all. I'm Pop Buchanan and I'll catch you on the other side. Thank you very much.